Hi, this is Dan Sullivan, and this is the next episode of my conversation with Ben Hardy on the concept of who, not how. And Ben, it's been a whirlwind couple of weeks on idea creation on the who, not how concept. And one of them was in the actual Free Zone Frontier workshop that I did two weeks ago today. I just had a thought about something because our clients who are in the Free Zone Frontier have a paralysis of abundance. (laughs) You know, you've heard paralysis of scarcity, but uh, at a certain level of entrepreneurial success, when people have total cash confidence, they get to the point where they could do this, they could do this, they could do this, they could do this, and they have a hard time actually knowing what they should focus on and what they should leave behind. So I had a little exercise to sort of sort them out. And the first thing I did was two sets of positives. And the one set of positive was simplifiers and the other set of positives was multipliers. And I said, so in your entrepreneurial career, every other entrepreneur I've ever known, that when they get to this level, they've actually been successful at two things. They've simplified things, which gave them an advantage. And they've multiplied things, which gave them an advantage. So I'd just like you to spend five minutes picking your three things that you've simplified, and it could be any area of your business. It could be internal or external concept or new product or new service, but the impact was you took something that was complex for everybody else and you made it simple, and these are your three best ones. And then multiplying where you took something that was a new solution and you actually had successes in getting it out, multiplying it out in the world so that a lot of people could get the advantage of your simplifications. They did it and everybody wrote down great things. And then I said, okay, now I'll just chat about this. So in Strategic Coach, for those of you who are not in Strategic Coach, I've got a four-step process and I said, I'll ask you a question and you think about it and then you write it down and then you take what you've written down and then you talk to other entrepreneurs about what they've written down and it creates creativity because everything is fresh and new because you didn't know I was gonna ask that question and I never ask anyone a question that I know the answer to. You know, and that's my safeguard (laughs) against trying to get people to ask rhetorical questions and you get rhetorical answers. But they got together and they were really excited about this just right off the bat that I had created a simplifier (laughs) in their entrepreneurial career. There was that part of your career where you simplified and there was that part of your career where you multiplied. Then I asked another question. I said, now, if you were guaranteed one side of this that other people would do, which one would you claim as your own? Would you go 100% as a simplifier because you knew you had a 100% multiplier? Or would you go as a 100% multiplier because you knew you had a 100% simplifier? And they said, well, I don't think you can do that because you know up until now I've had to do both and I suspect in the future. I said, no, no, you've just gotten to the point where you can actually just focus on one because there's other people out there who are vastly better at that than you are, but you don't know which one you would choose. We have a tool in the program which is called the Impact Filter, which is really the workhorse of the program. Do not leave home without your Impact Filter. (laughs) 
I'm learning that myself. <laughs> we have a fast version. We have a fast version, which is called a fast filter. The big one takes about a half hour to do completely, but the fast one, you know, five to 10 minutes. And actually, in this case, they did it in five minutes. I said, so we're going to role play on paper. The first thing we're going to do is that you're going to imagine that you're the 100% simplifier. And what's the best result you could do from that? What's the worst result? And then if you we're going to be the best simplifier, what are the five things you would have to be so that someone else would multiply you? So they did that, five minutes. I said, okay, let's go in the other direction. You're the 100% multiplier, the best and worst of that, and the five things you would have to be to attract the best simplifiers. So they wrote it out and then got together and talked together, and they found that they were incredibly clear about one, but very vague about the other. And I said, that kind of tells you something, doesn't it? And there was just a snap in the room. It was like, uh, you know, the heavens parted and lightning came down and everything. Joe Polish is a multiplier, isn't he? Total multiplier, total multiplier. Yeah, I was gonna say, okay, okay. I'm just making sure I'm getting these right in my head. Go ahead. Total multiplier, total multiplier. Okay, and I said, I'll tell you which one that you are just right off the bat. You can answer. It's the part of your entrepreneurial life that you feel most guilty about. Gee, I wish I'd done this. Gee, I wish I'd done that. So I said, I want you to give yourself uniform forgiveness here because you couldn't have been that thing because you're the opposite. You're actually a simplifier multiplier. So I never have any guilt as an entrepreneur about simplifying. And I don't think you do either. <laughs> Both of us are simplifiers. And we're in teamwork. The interesting thing is we're two simplifiers in teamwork because we're jumping 10 times. You're my simplifier who allows me to take my simplifier 10 times and then you have collaborations that take it to 100 times and then altogether we have a multiplier who takes it 1,000 times. So this is really, really interesting what we're doing here. But anyway, there were 29 entrepreneurs in the room and I said, how many simplifiers? There were 15 and then there were 14 multipliers. And I've tried this out on seven workshops, four of them which were mine and three of them which were other coaches. And it's always just about half and half. Half the room are simplifiers and half the room are multipliers. And I find it really interesting. But it's amazing the conversations that go on when you're a simplifier and you know the person next to you is a multiplier because you say, hey, I've got this really neat solution. What would you do with this? And the other person said, oh, I'd do this, I'd take this and everything else. Nothing that you could ever think about. We're talking about who, not how here. Well, this is a really fundamental exponential who, not how. You know? yeah. And we're not talking tasks here, we're talking the rest of your life. Well, so there's so many layers to this. One of them is Obviously, everyone's done both in their career, and most people's careers probably include both, but what you're inviting people to do, and it's what you invite people to do at every layer of who, not how, is you're inviting them to up their standards so that they're increasingly simplifying the tasks that they do towards those things that slant into their unique ability. And yeah. someone's unique ability is where they're doing work that's just so easy and energizing and fun for them. And what you invite people to do is to who out all of the things outside of those few things. And so most people's jobs include both simplifying whatever it may be and multiplying other things. But as you who out your life through who, not how, and as you up your standards for the very few things that you truly get the most energy out of and just the most bang for the buck as far as your abilities, then you do less and less things and it's got a slant towards whether it's being simplified or multiplied. Just one last thought for you, Dan, is... 
I right here, and you're not going to see this from the podcast perspective, but I'm holding in my hand about 10 mini strategic coach books. And the reason I can tell you I'm a simplifier, because it feels like I'm a multiplier in this relationship, but the truth is my task is to turn 10 little books into, well, really probably 20, you know, and 30 years of strategic coach into a single cohesive book that people can just bang, get it. You know what I mean? That just drives people straight to coach. And so I've got to simplify 30 years of Dan Sullivan into a single concept. And so it actually is a simplification. Yeah. I just have interest in creating next quarter's new simplifier. (laughs) Exactly. That's where your brain is. (laughs) Yeah, I have no interest in doing what you're doing. And we should share that this week, after considerable thinking and discussing, we've actually created a major, major new combination of two simplifiers and two multipliers in a venture in publishing, which I doubt has ever existed in the way that we put it together. My feeling is that this is an entirely new way of going about publishing. You triggered this because at a Genius Network, Joe Polish's program, we were at one of his workshops and you came up to me and you said, you know, I've been following your stuff over the years. I've really been enormously successful as a blog writer on Medium, which is one of the big platforms in the world. And have you ever given any thought to taking your little books and actually turning them into big books? And I said, yeah, I've given a lot of thought to it, but I've made no progress at it because I have no interest in actually doing the activity. I said, if I was offered the possibility of spending the next two years taking one of my little books and making it into a big book, I would say, no, I'd rather spend the next quarter writing another little book. (laughs) And so there's just no juice. There's just no juice whatsoever for taking one of my books. But I said, I've had in the back of my mind that someday I'm going to meet someone 45 years younger than me (laughs) who's going to have a passion for taking a little book and making it into a big book and really transforming it into all the different things that a major market book has, which I don't have to do because I've got a captive audience and it's just for my coach clients. So that triggered the whole thing. And then you take it from there because I wouldn't be talking about this at all today if you hadn't put that invitation out. Yeah, I love it. What's interesting as a thought, and then I'm going to break down the actual structure of this deal and how it works combining all of Dan's concepts is what's interesting is, is that every simplification actually has an audience. So you simplify things and they turn into little books for strategic coach clients. That's the specific audience. I'm going to simplify a lot of your strategic coach concepts into a single book and that's going to hit a separate audience, but the audiences, although separate in populations, are actually the same audience. They're both entrepreneurs. You're focused on the tight demographic of people who are currently strategic coach clients, whereas the simplification that I create, which is the book, actually hits a much broader, different audience outside of yours. And so every simplification has an audience, which I think is really interesting. But in our case, we want to be a hero to the same type of audience, and that's entrepreneurs. But you're just focusing on the ones that are already in your circle, whereas I'm focused on the ones that are out of your circle. But to kind of break this down a little bit from a publishing perspective, and we'll be able to explain Free Zone Frontier at the exact same time, is when I first came to Dan, it was at the exact same time that I was actually going to get a new book contract with Penguin Random House, which is where I'm at. Penguin Random House was not necessarily clear on who, not how, and I'm actually really glad it wasn't. And so that was about a year ago. You fast forward a year, and during that year, I developed a really close relationship with Tucker Max, who owns a company 
called Scribe Media. And he edited my book, the one that I've been writing this last year, which is called Personality Isn't Permanent. And all this time, me and Dan have been continuing our relationship. Dan's been continuing to develop his concepts around Who Not How, totally revolutionized his entire program around Who Not How, and even developed Free Zone Frontier. So he's been evolving his thoughts through his simplification methods. And me and Tucker have been developing an amazing collaboration in the meantime, because Tucker's a brilliant bookman, and that's his skill. And then we found Hay House, who's Reed Tracy. Reed Tracy's the owner of Hay House, and he's a huge fan of Dan Sullivan's work. And Hay House has recently built out a business platform, because they've been a new age self-help publication for 30 years, but now they also have this business sector. They really wanted Dan's work. And so essentially what's happened now is, is the, the collaboration first started with me and Dan Sullivan as two 10x entrepreneurs. We actually both happen to be simplifiers. Well, we now add Tucker Max to the mix because Tucker really wants to be involved in this as well. And I actually wouldn't want to do it without Tucker Max because his skills, not only in marketing, but in book writing are going to help this book become amazing. And then we add to the mix another 10x platform, which is Hay House. And they have millions of followers and subscribers and they want to be the publisher of this book. There's one other thing that's amazing about the Hay House situation. And I believe that I don't think that this has ever happened for a first time I mean, I know that Dan's not a first-time author, but in a situation like this, the deal has been set up with the expectation that every year Dan's going to come out with a big major book every October. And so who not how will come out in October. And so that is the expectation or the initial trajectory of this launch. It's amazing how much this deal has been set up. And so these are all different 10x capabilities that are now combined in order to launch this free zone. And I'm with you, Dan. I doubt anyone's ever set up a publishing deal like this where you have a simplifier who's got this brilliant set of ideas. You've got a simplifier author who's not a ghostwriter. I'm not just a ghostwriter. I'm an author on this, and I'm actually a kind of a big-time writer. I just love your ideas. And then you have a big-time book guy who's also written four New York Times bestsellers, and you have one of the biggest publishers in the world, all who love the same audience and all who love the same ideas and all who want a long-term deal. It's an absolute free zone. Yeah, you know, we're both learning as we go along. So not only are we writing on a particular topic, but we're actually modeling the particular topic in terms of the teamwork to actually multiply the concept out into the world. But one thing I said right from the beginning to make this really a win-win-win-win, there's a four-way win here, is that I don't make money from books. You know, in our world, we write these books not to make money on the books. I mean, we do make money on the books because our clients, once they get one, will buy 50 of them and give it 50 of their friends. So, you know, in the end, let's say you produce a new book and you're a year out, probably the extra sales have paid the printing costs, the production costs have been paid. We've got a team who does this and they're on salary and everything. But our business is workshops. You know, and it's entrepreneurs signing up for the Strategic Coach Workshop. And that was our business 30 years ago. And that's our business today. And 25 years from now, that's our business. So I have no aspirations to make any money on books. And I said, since I have no aspiration to make money on books, let's just set up the deal so that Hay House, Tucker, Max, and Ben Hardy get all the money from the book. So there's an advance immediately upon the signing of the contract, and then when the manuscript goes in, and then you know the finished manuscript and everything else, there's money, and then all the royalties from the sales stay on that side of the line, 
And what I'm looking for is millions and millions of people, you know, eventually, who read the book and say, gee, I got to sign up for this strategic coach program. And that's my part of the deal. Yeah. Instead of us having to track people down and phone them and talk to them, why don't we just have a book that does 90% of the sale and then they just phone us and sign up for the program. So that's my part of the deal. And therefore, I never want to make a single cent on any of the books. So we have one book. And if we prove true to the plan, then there's going to be another book every 12 months. It's going to be fun. At least for 10 years, you know, 10 books in 10 years. Well, I mean, why I like this is it's a really good model of who, not how, because you're staying in your lane, your simplifier lane, and you're getting paid the way that you as a company have been paid. I'm staying in my lane. And as a writer, I'm still hitting the same audience. We still want to hit the same people. You know, the whole concept that holds this together is who do you want to be a hero to? That's the concept that Dan came out with is you focus on who's the audience that you want to serve. Dan's serving the same audience as me, but he's staying in his lane. He's a simplifier and strategic coach is where he gets paid. I'm a simplifier in this case, and I'm a writer. And so that's where I'm going to get paid. I'm not getting paid by strategic coach clients. I'm getting paid with books. In the case of Tucker, he actually is a multiplier because he's allowing us to multiply and move this thing into a he actually may be a simplifier. <laughs> I'm not actually sure, but I know that Reed Tracy's the multiplier. Yeah, well, I'll tell you something. Yesterday, an uh, email came in. It was from Tucker, and he said, I'm not bragging here, but we just published our 500th book. So he's a multiplier. He's multiplying books. Oh, yeah, he's a huge multiplier. Yeah. What are we ta- what am I talking about? <laughs> yeah, 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 and, yeah, and I said 500 books. So, uh, well, that's great. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Anyway, he said, you know, this is congratulations if you were one of the entrepreneurs who were one of our first 500 books, but maybe you're just one of the entrepreneurs who are one of our next 500 books. So I said, well, yep. I'm in the second group. Yep. So the interesting thing here is that Tucker, knowing what my intentions are and the way I operate, actually engineered a contract that gives me complete freedom to do what I've always been doing. So talk about that from a normal publisher looking at someone like me. Yeah. So when a traditional publisher buys a book, they don't want competition to the book they just bought because they're selling information. And so the thing about Dan's situation and what I love about Dan's situation is he knows his situation is, what did you say? Like an exception of one? <laughs> yeah, an exception of one. Yeah, yeah, I said, yeah, yeah. whatever your rules have been previously, I said, I'm the exception of one. You know, I want to yeah, be yeah, yeah. treated totally differently. You know, I grew up in a family of seven in farm country, northern Ohio. And my parents are both fifth children, fifth of seven, fifth of nine, and I'm the fifth child and fifth of seven. And I just had this really groovy relationship with my mom and dad. They really knew how to raise me, and I knew how to raise them. And and I had enormous amount of time with them because there's a big age difference up to the first four, and there's a big age difference down to the last two. And there was just me and my parents for about six years. And there was always this kind of talk in the family that got back to me that Dan always gets special treatment. And I said, well, that's absolutely true because that's my goal to get special treatment. (laughs) Yeah, no, I love it. You know, I was drafted into the military. I had three older brothers who were in the military, but they volunteered during peacetime. But I was drafted at the beginning of Vietnam. This came back to me later. They said, well, now Dan's going to be put in his place. You don't get special treatment in the army. So when I got to the army, almost like the first week, Somebody said, well, you know, the rule in the Army is you don't volunteer for anything. And I said, oh, interesting. Nobody else volunteers. So if you're the only person who volunteers, 
I bet you get special treatments. So I started volunteering for this and volunteering for this, but within eight months after being drafted as a lowly private into the army, you know, a grunt, and I could have been sent to the front lines in Vietnam, I ended up as more or less the entertainment coordinator for half of South Korea for the USA 8th Army. And I I didn't have to wear a uniform. I had my own private quarters. I had a Jeep. I had six Koreans who worked for me. I had rights to the officers club. I had rights to the non-commissioned officers club. I had a helicopter if I needed it to go to other bases. And it was cool. It was really, really cool. So my mother told me, she says, you know, well, Dan always gets special treatment. And he says, the army will put Dan in position. And I said, Yep, they put me right, right, right in position, right where I wanted to be, because I didn't want to. You know, it was two years of my life. You know, I mean, you were restricted. It's a bit like a tax on your time. And I said, yeah, but I'm not going to waste two years bemoaning that somebody's taken a certain amount of my freedom away. I'm going to make the best of it, and I made the best of it. So my whole attitude is that you always consider yourself the exception of one, and then go looking for all the capabilities that will help you actually do that. But you have to be useful. I mean, you have to be unusually useful. Totally. No, I mean, if you want exceptional treatment, you have to create exceptional value. Yeah. No, I love it. And, you know, this may be something that I'm just going to throw in the back of your head <laughs> that you can figure out how to simplify sometime in the future. But I think I'm 100% the same way. I expect, and it's kind of like you have that selective attention. I expect that I'm going to have a different outcome. Like the rules of normal don't necessarily apply to my goals. And so, yeah, then I have to go figure out how to create yeah. extreme value to build into that. And so my guess is that most of the people in your program are the same way in their own way. And anyone who is going to experience a free zone frontier has to apply that level of thinking. Yeah, I want to explain free zone frontier because that concept of free zone frontier has actually developed out of the who not how concept. So you have bigger and better goals you're very good at that and you're very excited about the goals, but you're confronted with all kinds of hows that now spring into your consciousness because now you gotta do all sorts of things to get to the bigger and better goal. And for most people, that means that the goal is not possible, you know, because you don't know how to do that. There's an enormity of tasks above and beyond your ability, your knowledge, your thinking yeah. <laughs> in order to get the goal. And I said, well, all the new hows tell you all the new who's you have to have in your life. So I always wanted a major market book, but I wasn't the who who was going to do the hows. And then you tapped on my shoulder and said, hey, would you ever think about doing this? And I said, bingo, <laughs> you know, bingo. And the thing was, in your own world, as a writer, you realize that you need an additional real market savvy, book savvy muscle, marketing muscle, and you look to uh, Tucker Max to do that because he's a major... I just wanted to upgrade myself as a writer. I mean, he is a, such a better writer than me and a thinker around books. And I, I just was like, if I'm going to go to this level as a writer, I need to get mentored by the best. And I want to just be in his pocket. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. So the one thing is that I don't want to send from the books and I actually don't want to send from the books. They said, Dan, we'll give you a dollar on every thousand dollars. I said, no, no, I don't even want a dollar. I want you to have all. And the reason is I want, in addition to getting really well paid, I want you to have surplus income to develop other capabilities as you go along. Keep adding in more killer who's to make this more successful, right? For all of us. Yeah. It becomes a magnet for every killer who in the world publishing business. And the thing is, all the time while you're doing this, I'm just doing 
what I was going to do. You're just simplifying your ideas. <laughs> <laughs> no, but I'm just, well, the fact is I'm just doing what I was going to do anyway. You're just doing what you're going to do anyway. Tucker's only doing what he was going to do. And Reed Tracy at Hay House is just doing what he was going to do anyway. None of us goes outside of our lines. Nope. It's perfect. Yeah. Now, so I'll explain real quick if you want me to, yeah, like why this is a, a unique situation is because in traditional publishing, most people are not going to want a Dan Sullivan or an author to be out throwing out little books that Dan does every quarter on the internet because it takes away from the market of the book that they've just paid for and that they're trying to sell. Dan is an exception to the rule. I'm an exception to the rule. Tucker's an exception to the rule. And in this case, actually, Hay House is an exception to the rule. Dan's going to continue to create his little books and they're going to go onto Audible and Amazon. You know, we've figured out a structure so that that does not get in the way of once a year, we're going to be putting out a book through Hay House. And that's the vision. That's the goal. And Hay House has totally agreed to it. What's interesting about this for me, so that's a total exception to the rule. No typical publisher and probably even Hay House in most situations wouldn't allow for that. But because of the deal and how it's been set up, Hay House is allowing for that. So Dan is totally an exception to the rule. He's going to keep doing his little books and we're going to just in our own pocket, be doing one a year with these big books and they're not going to have any bearing on what's going on with the little books except for that they're going to actually help funnel each other marketing-wise. You know, there will be a reverse feedback here. You know, I mean, it's just the way that I... It's going to be a good synergy. Yeah, as I see what you're doing, taking the idea, and I should say here, you didn't ask me this, but it came up in a conversation, Ben. I was telling a story about Michael Crichton, who, you know, is very famous for Jurassic Park, but he was actually a scientist. He started off as a scientist and very, very smart guy in other fields, but he just found as a scientist, you can get really wealthy with books and movies. So he was asked a question in an interview. They said, when you go to see something like Jurassic Park and you remember the book you wrote that gave birth to this, how much of the book actually makes it into the movie? And he says, Oh, I, you know, probably 10%. And, you know, the interviewer says, well, what does that do to you when you realize that they've changed it? You know, does that bother you? And he said, oh, no, no. He says, those movies. He says, you can't imagine how many books they sell. (laughs) He couldn't care less about the movie, you know, as long as people can trace it from the movie back to the bookstore, you know, or order it online. And I feel the same way about my little books. So I said, you know, you're going to take the book and, I, you know, you're going to change it around. You're going to do what you want. And Tucker's going to recommend this and this. And I said, I have to tell you, I have no emotional attachment because these books in major form, they put a lot of new entrepreneurs into the strategic coach program. Well, so what you've just described is incredible for two reasons. And I think it's a who, not how essential for someone who really wants to apply who, not how, and break through and go 10x or 100x as an entrepreneur. This is true of building a team, but it's also true of building collaboration networks. And these collaboration networks is what we're calling free zones. You are truly allowing the who, which in this case is me, to take care of the how, and I'm letting Tucker take care of his how. And so you've stepped out of the way. So first off, you're letting the who take care of the how, and you're not getting in the way. But second off, you've totally relinquished control on that. And I think a lot of entrepreneurs, their problem is, is that they don't let the who take care of the how, and so they hold on tight. And, and you've talked about that before. One thing I love about that from a funnel perspective is that at the top of every funnel, it's always a different concept, but the tighter and tighter you get into the funnel, the more it becomes exactly what it is. And so yep. this book may reach hundreds of thousands, 
who knows how many people. And it is a slightly different version than the next level of the funnel, which could be either the small books or a webinar by Dan Sullivan. The next level in is people joining your signature program. The next level in is 10X. The next level in is your free zone program. And so the further in they get, the more specific they get to your ideas. Yeah. Which is amazing. Both of us have great interests in theological concepts. People say, well, if God created us, how could he give us free will? And he said, well, you know, if it's a good creation, then they're going to surprise me. <laughs> you know, and I think that if my little books are a good creation, then I want to be surprised by where they can go as other talents take them and transform them upwards. And my feeling is the essence of who, not how will retain constant, but it'll be magnified because you'll bring other examples. You just got your doctorate in psychology and you have you know, a vast number of psychological concepts and tests and research and everything that actually supports concepts that I just came up with intuitively just responding to the demands of being entrepreneurs. And I've been doing that for 45 years and I've had somewhere about 50 to 60,000 hours of entrepreneurial conversations about everything in entrepreneurial life. So I feel totally confident. And the other thing is that I just invest in people. I don't invest in anything. So I don't invest in ideas. People say, well, does it bother you that people are misusing your ideas? I said, well, that's not where my love is. My love is that the person took something of mine and actually did something with it and produced a great result in their world. You know, I am passionate about that, and I have tremendous amount of energy, you know, emotional energy around that. But the concepts themselves, I really, really couldn't care less. They're useful or they're not useful. So the little books, and I'll give you an example because I've trained on this. So I have a writer who actually writes the little books. What I do is about three hours of interview where I've done a really good job on the outline. You know, I have Shannon Waller, who you know is a terrific interviewer, one of the best interviewers I've ever met in my life. And she goes through and she said, well, what do you mean by this and everything else? And then I talk, and then it's transcribed and it goes to a writer. He and his sister, so we have a brother-sister team. He's the writer, she's the editor, and she's got 15 years of dealing with my material. So she's got Dan in her brain, you know, she's been with me for 15 years. And she'll tell her brother, Dan wouldn't say it that way. I can tell you right now, Dan wouldn't say it that way. But the last five books, I've just finished number 19 in a series of 100. The last five, I haven't changed a word that came back from the writer. But... There were lots of things I said, oh, that's a real surprise. Oh, what he did with that. Gee, that's really, really interesting. It's not the way I would have said it, but it's really, really interesting. And it doesn't detract at all from the central message of the idea. And he said, oh, he found a whole, an entirely different way of saying that. Well, that's really interesting, you know. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, that's great because you're just letting people use their unique ability. Well, that's what free will is. That's what free will is, you know. Well, and there's the surprise, Yeah. you know. So you've created something and then you're surprised by how someone takes it and runs with it. Yeah. You know, and you're just letting them do it because it's not your unique ability anyways. And I love the idea of the 80% pass off. You know what I mean? Like you did your thing and you pass it to the next who and then the who transformed it and now it's going somewhere else and you just get to see the transformation. Yeah. Yeah. Ideas are supposed to be transformed. You know what I mean? (laughs) Yeah. So it's exciting. Yeah. Let's just simplify what we just (laughs) elaborated on. You know, I'm really, really excited on the one hand, but I believe in my concept so much that 
this is a normal outcome of the concept if you just take it to 10 times and then 100 times and 1,000 times. Well, of course, these other capabilities are going to be extraordinarily different from my capabilities. You know, I mean, everybody's capable of one times. <laughs> you can have complete control on one times. That's just you. <laughs> Maybe two times if you work harder and work longer. But if you go to 10 times, 80% of what took it 10 times would not be the way you had been doing it. If you go to 100 times, now you're you're down to about 2% of what you would have thought. When you go to 1,000 times, you're just back to the heartbeat of the idea. Yeah. I mean, that's what's so amazing. I mean, an insight I got, because I was just a strategic coach in a 10X program, was Dan talks a lot about rugged individualism. So most people, I would argue, especially in America, are rugged individualists. They're doing all of the things themselves. They're one xing, so they're doing as much outcome as one person, you know. And so they're just that one person, and they're simplifying, they're multiplying, they're doing all sorts of tasks that they hate. And then essentially, when a person starts whoing out and they live who not how and they build that self-managing company, they can go up to ten x, and they're producing as much as ten normal people because they've built a team. But what's the problem? Is, is that they then build an individualistic company and they're not looking outside of the company and creating free zone collaboration. Yeah. And so if you stop being a rugged individualistic company and you start collaborating with other 10X capability companies or people, boom, you go 100. And so I just love the idea of going from 1X to 10X to 100X and beyond. It's exciting. Yeah, and the interesting thing about these, these are powers, you know, it's the next power up. The toughest journey is from one to 10 times, okay? 100%. 10 times to 100 times is half as hard. You're already in your zone. I mean, you just yeah. stay in your zone. 100 times to 1,000 times is half again. It's a reverse exponential. You know, it's a reverse exponential in terms of difficulty. And on the one hand, I'm thrilled to death about the whole project, and I'm sort of pinching myself. But I said, yeah, but if your book is right and the concept is right, this should be normal. This is just a normal outcome. I mean, it'll look different in regard to every person who's doing it, but there'll be a similar pattern. You know, there'll be a similar pattern on how this does. And we're lucky that we're living in the age that we're living in because there's a massive amount of desire for this to happen in the world. And there's a massive amount of capability that has been created just within your lifetime and the, not necessarily my lifetime, but within your lifetime that actually supports this. You know, the whole way that ideas can go global electronically and the news about new things can go. So it's just a neat thing to actually see. So let me ask you this. How do you think, you know, just your progress and your creation of this one project, which you know, the first manuscripts in in January and then the first products out in October. Can you sense how this is going to change how you're looking at everything else you were doing before the project? Oh, yeah. I admittedly was more of a how thinker before I really understood who, not how. And I'm still trying to understand and live and apply it better. But because I'm already in a free zone relationship with you where we're collaborating with other people, it's changed everything for me. Just as an example, you know, Chad, my financial advisor, is in Strategic Coach. You know, he's a who in my life and he's just another member of my team. And so I, I'm realizing that I'm collaborating with so many more people. And I'm, you know, you and I talk about selective attention that your eyes can only see and your ears can only hear what your brain is looking for. And so I've trained myself to think in terms of collaboration a lot more. But one other component that I think that this specific book and this collaboration is going to push me to do, it's pushing me 
to be a lot more collaborative in my writing. So for example, the first book I wrote, Willpower Doesn't Work, I did it all by myself. Because I learned who, not how, while I was writing Personality Isn't Permanent, that's why I actually started collaborating with Tucker Max. I probably wouldn't have collaborated with him had I not learned about who, not how. You taught me that idea, and so I started whoing things more. And so the book actually became 10 times better. I believe my second book is at least 10 times better in quality, and it's going to be at least 10 times better in impact than the first. And so I just believe that every book is going to get better and better because I'm actually collaborating with better who's. And what's interesting, one other thing aside from quality and impact is actually proficiency. You know, when you're actually working with who's, I love your 80% principle that, you know, this is one of the things that Tucker's really good at. He says, write a crappy first draft and send it to me fast because if I get an 80% draft to him, his 80% of what he can do is to kick in. I mean, he sees it fast and he can see things that if I was just in my own personal space, I would. So basically what it does for me is it's going to radically increase the quality, but it's also going to radically increase the productivity of what I do. And just one other thought as I add is you mentioned, you know, as you're doing bigger and bigger visions, you attract better who's. I know I've been pinching myself ever since I got to know you, Dan, because I've been loving your work for a long time and it blows my mind that we get to do this collaboration together. But it's just exciting to think about the who's that we're going to attract as the books progress. And so my expectation is it's just going to get bigger and bigger. Yeah, I think that, you know, great collaborators are attracted to great collaborations, you know, like it's kind of like... There's so much potential. Yeah, energy source. You know, I'm a big theater fan and the two great centers of theater in the world are London and New York. I remember going to see, this was a Gershwin play, American in Paris, and American in Paris came out as a movie with Gene Kelly, great dancer, singer, but it had never actually been created as a live musical on stage till about four or five years ago. And I saw it in New York, and it's a really difficult musical because every actor has to be also a great singer and a great dancer. You know, so it, it requires trifecta talent. And in the world of actors, you know, maybe 1% of actors can actually dance and one, one in 1,000 can sing and dance. And I said, you know, it's only in New York City that you could have actually created this because they have such a critical mass of talent who would check off all three boxes of singing, acting, and dancing. And I said, and that's within a five-mile radius of the theater. Only there in London, you could do it in London, but I doubt if you could do it anywhere else in the world. It's not enough. Because you didn't have the critical mass. And this people can't understand, why do people live in big cities? I said, because of a critical mass of collaboration that you can pull off in a big city that you can't if the population is more dispersed. You know, I just want to tie this back to economics. So the... Starting point for economics as a science really goes back to Adam Smith, uh, Scott, who in 1776, very interesting date, created a book called The Wealth of Nations, in which he said, the wealth of nations starts by taking everything that one person does, so a person will create a complete product, you know, they'll start with the raw materials, but you break it down into parts and each person does part of the part and you put them together and you'll get, you know, a multiple of productivity, but you also get a improvement of quality, you'll get an improvement of tools and you'll get markets that can then distribute this product. You know, the division of labor is really the fundamental basis of modern industrialization and modern economy. 
And I'm going to join that with a concept by a man by the name of Hayek in the 1940s and 50s. He was an Austrian who fled the Second World War, went to London, and then he went to the United States. And he said, you know, capitalism, so Smith is really considered the real grandfather of capitalism. But he said, you know, there's a problem with capitalism is that it wasn't named by the originator of capitalism. It wasn't called capitalism. It was called capitalism by its enemies. And they said, you know, the capitalists, they're only doing this for capital. So this is F.A. Hayek. And he said, you know, capitalism is an ever-expanding system of increased cooperation among strangers. And he says, no other system in the world can you have cooperation among strangers. You only have cooperation among friends, or you only have cooperation among family, but you distrust strangers. And capitalism, because of the division of labor, allows you to have cooperation among strangers. So I'll change the word cooperation to collaboration, and I'll take it one step further. So this is capitalism (laughs) 3.0. that what we're creating here is a global system, a global expanding entrepreneurial system of collaboration among 10 times simplifiers and 10 times multipliers to create 1,000 times outcomes. So this is capitalism 3.0. Yeah, I mean, this is such an unfair advantage. You know, there's the whole book, Blue Ocean Strategies, and this is how you create blue oceans that no one else can see and you're doing it collaborating with people who are already incredible at what they do. I mean, it's just, this is the most unfair approach. I mean, talking about competition because you've left competition behind. You're no longer even worried about competition and you just get to focus on your zone of genius. Well, it's not unfair. You just want to be- Well, I know, I know. I mean, it's unfair to the others. (laughs) Well, well- Yeah, I mean, unfair is the whole idea of, oh, you're in trouble because you're not doing it all by yourself. Yeah, but the only barrier to entry is mindset. Yeah, it's incredible. You know, the whole unfair advantage is just a a word, but I agree. I mean, anyone can do it. Anyone can jump into this level of thinking immediately if they're choosing to be a collaborator. And I I think you could pull your idea in, Dan, of being an exception of one and having, you know, playing in a different realm than what's normal to most people. You know, if you're willing to do that, and if you're willing to create exceptional value for the people that you want to be a hero to, and that includes the audience, but also the people you collaborate with, then this is a free zone right here for anyone yeah. to jump right into. <laughs> yeah, it's really interesting. I've been studying for decades that capitalism actually created two unique classes of people on the planet. And one of them were entrepreneurs because there had never been a class called the entrepreneurial class because they were, you know, they were merchants or they were individual craftspeople who hunt out a sign and they would sell their wares. But what the whole notion of division of labor, especially allied with technology, actually created was mass production, mass marketing, you know, and mass increase in creature comforts and convenience and productivity. But the other class who got created by capitalism were intellectuals. And intellectuals, with exceptions, have been uniformly anti-capitalistic. You know, Marxism was It was called a manifesto. It wasn't the manifesto of communists. It was the manifesto of intellectuals. And the reason is that every intellectual is trained from birth to be a craftsman. I'll take you back to the final months of you getting your doctorate done at Clemson University. This was May or June of just the past year. And you were up against it. And I remember you wrote me an email. And I said, uh... 
Ben, 99% of a PhD is the same as zero. You got to do 100%. And it was just grueling because you had been taught in the academic community, you have to do the whole thing yourself from start to finish, you know, from nursery school up to PhD. You are the craftsman who has to do this on your own. And what'd you do? You cheated. You cheated in the last month. What did <laughs> just say what you did? So I, uh, I ended up actually hooing out because I had to do an enormous amount of heavy statistics in order to actually do my dissertation. And so I just decided to hire a freelance already PhD who's genius in statistics and psychological methods. She's just as a freelancer who helps people like me. And I just, rather than doing it myself, like most PhD students, I just hooted out with the two of us working on it, I was able to do in two weeks what would have taken me a year just because I just decided to who it out. And I'm like, you know what? I can't do this anymore. But you cheated. You cheated. I did cheat. You I mean, cheated. I, I wouldn't have told anyone about that. You had somebody else put the heels on. You know, I mean, you were a shoemaker and you cheated at the last moment, you know, and everything like that. I finally understand the total hatred of intellectuals towards entrepreneurs is that it's all cheating, you know, because we've been taught you have to go through the entire academic world entirely by yourself. You know, you, you can't have someone else work on the test with you. You can't have someone else work on the papers with you. you it's cheating. They're the world of one times. The academics are the world of one times. A hundred percent. I've got three fast insights on this. So one is that intellectuals versus entrepreneurs, intellectuals are individualists. And as individualists, they're how thinkers, whereas entrepreneurs are who thinkers. So intellectuals, they're focused on how, and they have a lot of arrogance towards their knowledge of being able to do the how, you know, and the who thinker, like you in this case, you just want the result. The other thought, and this is a thing that I want to, again, put in the back of your head to eventually simplify and we can talk about it is intellectuals are not leaders. They may have ideas, but they are not leaders. They may be trying to put ideas out there, but they're not leading anyone. They're not producing results and they're not going 10x, whereas entrepreneurs have to be a leader of something. And so, you know, leadership is a big part of who, not how. And it's something that intellectuals have no skill at. Yeah. I mean, I deal in ideas. I mean, I'm a... But you're also a leader because you're creating results. Yeah, but the whole point is the ideas are worthless until an entrepreneur takes it and uses the idea and usually I put it into a thinking tool so it has a beginning, a middle, an end, and a result. And I said, you know, if I have an idea that I fall in love with, but it's worthless, it's worthless. Well, that's the difference between you and an intellectual is intellectuals fall in love with their ideas and they don't care if the idea has any merit. Whereas for you, the idea has to have an impact on other people. So your ideas lead to leadership, whereas intellectuals, their ideas just lead to more ideas that do nothing. Yeah. Yeah. Great. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah. I can imagine the intellectuals that I've known who, you know, spent 15 years on their thesis and everything, just entertaining the collaboration that we've just put together. And it went together. I mean, really, it's from the beginning of August until now. And I was just measuring how much time I put talking to you, talking to Tucker, and hardly talking at all to Reed. And it was about 20 hours of my time to put something that could very well, you know, produce massive, massive results for me over the next 10 years. Putting together such a simple, amazing collaboration. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> my take, just going off of the idea of 1x going to 10x, it gets easier and easier. My guess is, is that as the collaboration goes, it'll take increasingly less of your time as the system goes. It's just like your small books. Yeah. 
you've created a system wherein it's increasingly self-managing. And so always when you're creating a new collaboration, my guess is that's where the front end of the work is. So these 20 hours may represent the bulk, not necessarily the bulk of your time, but increasingly more with each book, it's going to take less of your time and hopefully produce increasingly more results. Yeah. Yeah. So it's beautiful. (laughs) I'm really delighted out of the last four days because we've been in communication and in my own working coach, because there were two workshops that you were able to sit in on, and then we've had a lot of talking time, the contract got signed, and everything like that. This has been a really extraordinary four-day period. It's been a lot of fun. I have a blast, with it, and I think that's a good representation of a good collaboration, is that we're both having fun in our own spheres. Yeah, and then this weekend we'll spend three days again, and Tucker will be there, so <laughs> who knows by next Monday where this whole thing's going to be. Yep. I'm right now, just so you know, and I know that you don't care too, too, too much about the how, but me and Tucker are now, because of all of the amazing things I've learned over the last couple of days with you and your team, I am now, we're now framing out, the hardest part about a book is framing out the structure. That's the stage we're at now. And then this book's just off on the races. And so super excited. Well, I just want you to know that whatever structure you come up, I'm not <laughs> losing a moment of sleep over it. <laughs> yeah, I know. It's great. I love it. Yeah. That's the freedom of collaboration and of whoing out. And so thank you for trusting me on that. And yeah, thanks for a great n- another episode. Yeah. Anyone fun. listening into this wants to just get the small version book of Who Not How because the small book is a really good book. It's incredible. So you can actually just go to whonothow.coach and you can get an ebook version. And the ebook version comes with a two hour audio link and it comes with a 45 minute video link. So it's a complete package and it also comes with some great cartoons. So I highly recommend and endorse the book Who Not How on what is it, whonothow.com slash coach. It's an incredible, I mean, it's just a fast track to entrepreneurial success. Thanks, Ben. All right. Hey, Dan, we'll talk to you soon.